the game is over, but we're just getting started. You're listening to the fifth quarter, presented by Twitch on the Raiders Podcast Network. Well, Raider Nation, your Las Vegas Raiders are 8-7 and seven after a 17-13 win at home against the division rival Denver Broncos. Eddie Pascal with my man Jason Fitz in the fifth quarter. And Fitz, we were talking before we started rolling. I will admit to you, I was 100% wrong about today. I came in, I woke up this morning, and I had that feeling. I said, you know what? Derek's going to have a vintage DC game. He's going to throw for 450 yards, four touchdowns. We're going to win in a shootout. 42-38, and boy, was I wrong, Fitz. But you, on the other hand, you had you had the Christmas spirit in you. You knew it was coming, didn't you? Yeah, the, there was a moment where the more I kept watching uh, film on the, the Broncos through the course of the year, the more I kept thinking, man, this is going to be an offensive battle. Which defense shows up better? And then which team can run the ball more? And I say that because I, I knew the Broncos were going to come in and try and assert their ability to run the football. They didn't do that. And, and you, this game is very simple to figure out the difference. And this game was which team ran the ball, which team didn't run the ball. You know, and, and that's as simple, as simple as that. How often have you seen a Raiders te- team turn the ball over like the Raiders turned the ball over in this game and still win? They did that because they were efficient in the red zone. They ran the football well. And this became, you know, the Raiders. I think this is the playbook today that we saw that the Raiders had coming into the season. Now, you and I, I'm going to be be honest, you and I have said on this show before, just give it over to D.C. Let him throw the football. What we saw today is that when Derek Carr can throw the football out of play action that's actually respected, it makes a massive difference. And I think we got to remember that. Like, look at the Titans. The Titans passing game took a a massive hit when Derek Henry went out, not just because of the fact that they don't have Derek Henry, but also because defense didn't need to stack the same way and didn't respect the play action. Tannehill plays well out of the play action. There's a lot of similarities to me for Derek Carr and his ability. Just a little nudge that none of us think really looks like a handoff is enough. And today in the second half, particularly, you saw that work over and over and over again. This was this was absolutely the way they wanted this playbook to run. And we're going to talk about the formula in just a second because I think that's something important because you and I have danced around. Uh, how does it? What's the identity of this team? How is this Raiders team going to win in 2021 given all of the bizarre things at times that have happened, the kind of uh, confusion of who are we, what are we, yada, yada, yada. But it, you brought up a great point in the run, Fitz, and we just got to look at this real quick. The Raiders ran the ball 40 times for 160 yards. 160 yards, Jason Fitz. The Broncos, on the other hand, ran the ball 16 times for, are you ready for this, 18 yards. 18 yards. And my man Peyton in the control room sent over this delightful little stat before we started rolling. The Broncos were held today under 20 yards rushing for the first time since December 26th, uh, excuse me, December 11th of 2016. So it's been five yards, excuse me, five years since the Broncos were held under 20 yards rushing. And you look at this defense, and we have to give all the credit in the world to Gus Bradley. Gus Bradley has done a masterful job with this group. Absolutely masterful. Because what this what he turned this Raiders defense into this year, as opposed to a year ago, is night and day. And you brought up a great point earlier, too, before we started rolling fits, too. The past two weeks. This Raiders defense, a defense that if you really want to get nitpicky and see, hey, they don't do this great, they haven't been able to stop the run well. But now a couple weeks in a row, that has completely changed, and they did it today without Jonathan Hankins, who is arguably their best run stopper too. Well, and and look at what we saw today in the division. The Chargers can't stop the run. The Texans went in and said, fine, you can't stop it. We're going to do it. And, you know, maybe it's time when you start talking about who is this team. 
there are certain teams uh, in the AFC particularly that have missed so many games because of injury or COVID, whatever it might be. Uh, and, and I'm talking about the Titans and the Ravens uh, have lost more starters uh, than any other team. And they both come out every week and been competitive. And at some point, the identity of certain teams is just that. Now, I know those two teams may have identity. I feel like, I don't know, Eddie, uh, you know, random tangent here. Did you play chess growing up? Do you ever play chess? I actually, yeah, funny, yeah. Thing, funny you bring that up. I did go through a chess phase uh, with my dad when I was a kid. Yeah, I did. Okay, so my dad, a uh, big chess player, was the naval champion uh, when he was in the Navy for chess. Like uh, My big, my big, dad big was not, player. by the way. My dad was okay, not a okay, naval cool. champion. My, my dad's version of teaching me to play chess was to beat me in three moves every time. And eventually I said, screw it, I don't want to play chess anymore. My dad thought that eventually I would just figure out how not to get beaten three moves. That did not work. But my point to this is when you learn how to play chess really well, one of the things that you have to do is come up and you have to play with less pieces. So you come into a situation where you're undermanned. Can you get yourself out of the situation? That's how you learn to play good chess. I feel like that's what the Raiders have been doing week in and week out defensively, particularly because I'm telling you right now, everybody that's watching or listening to this, if you haven't had to at some point Google who is number, insert number here, then you are, you're an expert beyond the level I understand. Because I think most of us have looked at it and said, wait, 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 earlier it was five, five, five's a weird number for a linebacker. Oh, okay, Diablo, got it, got it, got it. 10, I'm looking at 10 and I'm like, wait, 10, we got 10, you know, and, and that's Trubot coming in like, play what? Like, but that's what this, remember earlier this season, we talked about Facian, we're like, where did this come from? And I, I mean, you can look at this year and say the identity defensively has been plug and play. Gus Bradley walks in every week and says, what chess pieces are available? How do I win with them? That's amazing coaching to me. No, and look, I said it a second ago where Gus deserves so much credit because to your point, it's been a grab bag of who do I have up? Who's not up? Who? Oh, this guy's a little banged up. Okay, we don't have access to him. Like, let's keep in mind when Gus walked into the building in what was it? April, April, May, whenever he he walked, literally walked in this building the first time, he thought that he was going to have Trayvon Mullen as his number one cornerback. A guy that was in the point of his career, he's getting better and better and better. And you felt coming into 2021, like this might be the year where Trayvon really takes that step. Unfortunately, we haven't had Trayvon for really much of any of 2021. And today it was the Desmond Trufant show. He showed up in a big way, leads the team in tackles with seven. And I think the one thing, if we're looking at constants from this defense, the Raiders got one of those big constants back today in the form of Denzel Perryman. I mean, you cannot, I mean, as, as well as this defense has played in Perryman's absence, oh boy, it is a big difference when number 52 is out there flying around. And I mean, you look at that first play from scrimmage in the game today. I mean, he sets the tone for what this group wants to be. And the Pro Bowl nod is incredibly well-deserved. And he showed us again today, like, yo, I'm one of the best at my position in the NFL. I'm going to show you for an entire 60 minutes why. Yeah, that much deserved is that contract. I feel like that's going to be coming any time for him. And, man, I'm rooting for that hardcore because some guys have it. it. You know, and one thing when you talk about identity defensively, to me, remember, and I've said this before, communication is so easy to see on the defensive side of the ball. After completion, do you see guys throwing their hands up in the air, pointing at each other? We've seen that for years on this defense, especially in the back end of this defense, confusion all the time. What do we see now? We rarely see big plays. And when we do, usually you see guys huddle up and have a real conversation. This time last year when the Raiders were melting down, and we all remember the meltdown last year that cost this team the playoffs, I remember a couple of different times at the end of the game watching safeties yelling at corners, everybody's throwing their hands at each other, they're pointing to each other. That's the natural thing that happens. What do we see now? 
this is a very level defense. It feels like every play really is a new play. That's not easy to do. And you've got to look at some of the leadership out there. Casey Hayward also, like the 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 holding penalty early in this game where he, I mean, practically took a guy's jersey off. Smartest thing he could have done. He was beaten. And he took the hold rather than get himself beat. And then immediately turned around. He's like, all right, next play. The guys don't get too high. They don't get too low. And it really feels like it keeps them more paced into the game defensively. Like, I looked at this the minute the Raiders got to 17. I actually sat there for once in my life, and I'm like, yeah, we're good. We're good. And, and and it's because this defense has played that well. No, I mean they really haven't. I would I would love Fitz at some point to just kind of understand the vibe of a Gus Bradley defensive meeting because I think we talk about the fact that these dudes are able to stay so level headed. The fact that when there is a mistake, and look, no one is perfect. When there is a mistake defensively, there seems to your point a very much uh, the feeling of okay, let's acknowledge it, let's figure out how to fix this, and we're moving on. We're not dwelling. We understand that this isn't perfect. And we're moving on to the next play. And I feel like so much of that is Gus Bradley's personality, right? Where you listen to his press conference each week and you're like, yeah, it, it, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I think, and he brings this up all the time, Fitz, and he says he walks into every meeting, every game, every practice, every whatever, and he always says, I tell the guys something good is going to happen. And the fact that that's been drilled into the, the, the collective psyche of this defense, I mean, I think you see it pay dividends, and we've seen it pay dividends really throughout the entirety of the year, but the past couple weeks in particular, I mean, we look at, we look at today, you're down John Abram, down Levitt steps up. I mean, the fact that we haven't even had to talk about Trayvon Merrick, we, I feel like he's the, the forgotten man in the best possible way, just speaks to this group that, hey, we're chugging along, we're doing our thing, we understand that it's not going to be pretty every week, but, I mean, my goodness, Fitz, this defense has been an – they have been so good in 2021. And I know that we're heaping all this praise on them, but for good reason, right? Like, these dudes are playing out of their mind. When you when you limit a team to under 20 rushing yards, you're going to get a little love in the fifth quarter. I promise you that. Yeah, well, and I, I'm lucky to get to work a lot with Bart Scott at ESPN. And can't Bart wait. Was telling me one day – yeah, can't wait. Uh, and that's Bart, by the way, 24-7. I was talking to Bart one day about playing defense, the toughest parts of it. And I think – I wish that we could get a genuine sit-down moment with a bunch of defensive players that explain the communication that happens on one play because most of us as fans have no idea. So I was asking Bart. He was talking about early in his career playing with Ray Lewis. And one thing that blew his mind is he would see something and a shift would happen offensively, and he'd start to move, and Ray would just start screaming at him, no, your assignment's this. And he's like, not only did Ray know his assignment, Ray Lewis knew every one of the assignments around me. And that's why, to Bart, Bart said, took him several years to learn how to play the linebacker position, but Ray was so smart that it let Bart get better over time. That's what Denzel Perryman is doing for this defense. The number of times I've said this before on this show that I'll keep saying it, the number of times you see him lean in and, and top and tap a hip, or you see him walk over and mm -hmm. point to somebody as everything's being lined up. That's not just Denzel Perryman, you know, sort of barking out an audible. It's also Denzel Perryman making sure that every person around him knows exactly what their responsibilities are. And 99% of the time, stopping the run game is about establishing solid technique and, and, and maintaining your gaps. Like everybody continually tells me that. And you see this team do it well when the smartest guys are on the field. That's the that's the Perryman difference. I, we, we talk about the tackles, but man, it's the brain that is keeping this thing going. And I think every anytime we bring up Denzel Perryman fits, I think it's imperative that we give Mike Mayock a lot of credit for going out and getting this guy saying, hey, look, and let's not forget that Perryman was brought in out of necessity because the linebacking core was so decimated towards the end of training camp in the preseason. He had to go get a guy. 
and give him and his scouts credit because whatever they saw in Denzel Perryman, whatever, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Whatever potential they saw in Denzel Perryman, they say, hey, this guy's got to be in silver and black. They went and got him, and he has paid off, you know, tenfold for this defense. But Fitz, what I think is really important from this game, and, and there's a lot of things that we'll get into over the next little bit, but you looked at that, the final two minutes of that first half, objectively a disaster for the Raiders. No, not could, objectively. That was a, that could, was powerful material. Could, it just couldn't have gone worse. Couldn't have gone worse. Legitimately couldn't have gone worse. And all of a sudden, we have those those dark thoughts creeping into our head again, Fitz, of like, Oh, here we go again. This is a game the Raiders have to have. They, it was going so well, and then you have this calamity. How are the Raiders going to respond, right? And then you look at that first drive of the second half, and they responded in the best possible way. And I think that speaks a lot to not only the defense, right, because they held it there under the bargain, but this offense and understanding like, hey, Hunter Renfro was saying it, uh, he said during his press conference today, he goes, we weren't embarrassed going into the locker room because we knew that we did this to ourselves, but we also knew like, Hey, it's on us to get this fixed, and they certainly did coming out in that second half. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of big things here. One, you know, you're right. It was a here we go again moment for all of us. And by the way, Santa, I'm sorry, I'm going to be on the naughty list for several months for what I said on that. And, and beautiful athletic play. Sometimes great players make great plays. Remember, defensive players get paid too. So to leap up and go go gadget arm a screen like that, I thought it was a good call. I thought the you know obviously I, I think true serum in DC. Uh, Carr would wish that he got a little bit more air under that ball, obviously. But if you float a screen too high, all you're really doing is giving the defenders chances to to catch up and murder the guy that's out there. So, you know, that was just a great play. But you're right, a sinking feeling in that moment. It was nice to see the Raiders come out so calm in the second half. And that's been a theme. Now, this is very similar. Offensively, the Raiders are very similar to what I thought we were going to get during the season in John Gruden's playbook. And obviously – you know, remembering what we originally saw early in the season, this was a team that wanted to control the clock and limit possessions. That's just the way John Gruden has always done it. That's what they did in this game as well. Now, if you turn the ball over, that turns into a blowout or it turns into a loss because every possession means more when you limit possessions. The Kansas City Chiefs, by design, are going to possess the ball a lot. So if they waste a possession, they get it back. The Las Vegas Raiders, by design, are meant to roll down the field and take all the time they possibly can to do it. That means one bad mistake on a third down. That means one turnover has higher consequence. That's always been the give and take of the way that John Gruden built the playbook. That playbook is still the same play. It's not like a team comes in, blows it up, and changes everything. I thought what we saw here was Greg Olson really take a page out of the way this team was built and say, okay, and there were so few wasted carries i mean Mm -hmm. josh jacobs deserves so much credit but peyton barber i mean you saw whoever got the ball found a way to get two or three and that's a huge uh, second and seven is a substantial difference from second and 12 it just is especially when you're missing so many wide receivers like i thought the running game really and the commitment to the running game was special to see this is pretty crazy fits as you were saying that and you talk about everyone eating on the uh on the raiders in the raiders running back room Every single running back, the, the trio today of Jacobs, Barber, and Richard, they all averaged at least four yards a carry. That is crazy. crazy. That is crazy. Now, to be fair, uh, Jalen Richard only had that one carry, that third and two that went for four yards. But all the same, Josh, 27 for 129, 4.8 yards per carry. Peyton Barber, 5 for 22, 4.4 yards a carry. Jalen, 1 for 4, 4 yards a carry. That is insane. I would actually, I'm going to get our research team on this, Fitz, because I, I'm genuinely curious. The last time 
that a team had three running backs average four yards a carry. And we talk about time of possession. The Raiders win time of possession by over 13 minutes. That'll work. I mean, it's it's just, we talk about the formula, right? And we've come back to this a couple times. And you and I, to be fair, have said at times throughout the year, let Derek do his thing. The run game is not being, you know, not as effective as it as it's been. The offensive line has had no shortage of struggles throughout this year. Derek is one of the best players on your football team. Let the man cook. But I think today we figured out, okay, we got two games left. Is this how the Raiders, as we sit here on December 26th, is this the best formula for your Las Vegas Raiders over these final two weeks to run the ball, control the line of scrimmage, and let Derek work off that? Is it? It is in two weeks against the Chargers, no doubt, because everybody can run on the Chargers right now. The real question becomes the Colts. I mean, the, the Colts are a, you want to talk a dynamic rushing offense. Like this commitment to shutting down the run will not be tested anymore, even if the Raiders go to the playoffs. There's not a team other than the Titans that I think runs the ball more ferociously than the Colts, and they can do it on virtually anybody. So that's going to be a real test. I mean, do you want to get into a grinded out game against Indy when they're built to grind it out? But to your point, you also got to look at this speaks a little bit to the ability for coaches to say, what do we have and how do we use it? Like, you know, the, the loss of Edwards in this game had to have consequence when you start talking about mm-hmm. and Edwards being on, on the COVID-19 list, let's say loudly, as we say on this show every single week. I care more about player health and safety than I do anything that happens on the field. Let's make sure guys are healthy. This is still an unknown with COVID. So let's make sure that we're doing everything we can to put our positive Raider Nation energy towards that. But on the field, it had to have consequence. And I thought what was curious is that by establishing the run, we need to remember that it allowed Derek Carr to be selectively aggressive. Like that third and two call to Foster Moreau was glory hallelujah yes and if that doesn't work if they're not running the football well and that doesn't work if they're aggressive every time like that worked because they weren't sure what the team was going to do and they had to respect the run and it let Derek Carr be aggressive in that moment I loved it I'm glad you brought up the that third and two call because I when I was going through my notes for today I had a big star and I said we need to give Ole some love for that because Ole fully in the matrix I mean, I think if you look at the way that Ole called this game, he's called a lot of good games uh, in 2021. I mean, you look at that the uh, the game in Dallas. I mean, Ole once again fully in the matrix. But here, it just felt it was so poetic. Fitz, it was like it was like Ole was dancing in the mind of the Denver defense all afternoon, and he didn't need to be overly sexy for a lot of this game. I mean, when you're when your dogs are averaging four yards a carry, it seems pretty simple. We're going to run the football. But then in that moment, in the moment to finish the game, to seal a victory for your team, and Ole goes, let's get crazy. I mean, it was so, it was poetic. It was beautiful. It brought a smile to my face. And I know we throw this term around a lot, you know, throw this term around a lot, but it was the perfect call at the absolutely perfect time. And it worked because they got positive run yardage on first and second down. Like, that's the part of it that, uh, you know, the Broncos knew it was coming. The fourth-ranked defense in the NFL knew what was coming. They knew exactly what the Raiders were going to do. By this point in the game, they know how the Raiders are going to do it by formation. They got a pretty darn good idea of exactly what the Raiders are going to do. And on first down, they won. On second down, they won. And that put themselves in a situation in third down to go out and win the game. Like, that is – that's aggressive. That is what happens when your team's firing in on all cylinders. And look, the Broncos are not a great team. I, 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 I believe in the Broncos roster, top to bottom. I believe the Broncos have a lot of talent. 
I don't believe the Broncos necessarily use their offensive talent in great ways. I think Jerry Judy's sort of being wasted there, for example. I don't think Drew Locke's a great quarterback. But the Broncos defensively are talented. And defensively, they are well-coached. Defensively, that's what's kept them in games. Like, the Broncos are a fringe playoff team because of their defense. And Foley out-coached them. Like, let's just be very clear. Like, the Raiders won the coaching matchup here. I've been hard on them when they lose the coaching matchup. Let's be hard. Let's be big on it when they win the coaching matchup. He won that matchup with that play call. He 100% did. And Fitz, I'm, I'm curious for you not to not to completely shift. Well, I guess staying on the offensive side of the football, but we look at what the Raiders did today, 160 yards on the ground. We've talked about the fa- how fantastic they were. When you looked at the offensive line, and this might be kind of a, a meta question, but do we feel like the offensive line is getting better week by week by week, or they had a really good day today? I think they're getting better week by week. And, you know, I think that just comes from playing together. You know, As much as we over overblow that, I think continuity – really matters for this team. And this is yet again where they're they're facing a good defensive line. And and even in the loss to Washington, they faced a good defensive line and they they held up very well. Like you can look back over the course of the last several weeks and say, okay, there have been real flashes. And in fact, you know, I I would challenge that the sacks and some of the pressure we saw on Derek Carr came more from routes taking a long time to develop or waiting to see if guys get open than it did on anything the offensive line did. I, I I preach this all the time. And, you know, Taylor Lewan years ago was the first one that really taught me this principle. But so often offensive linemen, you know, they're, they're, they're taught to send their defender to a certain spot and have a count in their head. So once they hit, like when we were kids, you played 10 Mississippi, you rushed a passer. If you're an offensive tackle, you're thinking this is a one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi release, balls out. You think you're done. If the quarterback holds the ball too long. If the quarterback drops back to the long, wrong depth, if the routes take too long, that all leads to sacks. And it felt like a couple of times when Carr was sitting back there waiting to see if anybody came open, that caused Carr to get hit. Yeah, I, I don't put that as much on the offensive line as I do on a combination of the play, the route, the circumstance, and the quarterback. So I thought the offensive line held up really well, like blue, blue ribbons for everybody in that group. And, and the holding penalties weren't as, as much of a factor. Like the, the, all of it plays together. The line holds when they're not playing well. When they do play well, they don't have to. It's not. It wasn't the officials then. It's not the officials now. It's the line playing the way the line should play. And it's no secret, too, right? When the line is able to cook, Josh is able to cook, too. I mean, he's north of 100 yards in the second half alone. I mean, this is the version of Josh Jacobs that we've seen spare. We haven't seen this version of Josh in 2021, right? I think that's fair to say. Josh is the century mark for the first time this season, this afternoon at Allegiant Stadium. And we got the glimpse again today, Fitz. You know, Josh just said, hey, guys, I just want to remind you, like, I do this. This is what I can do. Please don't, uh, please don't sleep on me. I know my numbers aren't where they were the first couple of years, but make no mistake about it. Like I am a hundred percent that dude. Yeah, and and I think that's what we have to remember, right? Like the situation has been so difficult for offense to to actually happen this year, and you know, uh, offensive line is so hard for most of us to break down what they're doing well, what they're not doing well. But what we know is that no running back has come in and really run the ball efficiently for a lot of these games. There have been running issues and. There have been times we've watched Carr scrambling for his life. That seems to be getting much, much better. A little credit to the coaching, a little credit to the players. The Raiders have to figure out as a team, you know, moving forward, because now we're at that spot in the season where you got to start to look at it and say, okay, what's next? After this year, they're going to have to figure out how many of these guys can be built around, where do they need replacements. But, I, I mean, I think the offensive line is finally starting to gel and step up. And, you know, as much as this is created by the Raiders' decisions to move forward on certain players this year, it has created this offensive line situation 
at least it's getting better. So you can look at it and say, maybe we understand better what the long-term goal was for the team. Cause you have to make that positionally, you have to make that commitment at some point. Yeah. I mean, look there, as we sit here today, the day after Christmas, the Raiders are eight and seven. They are still technically on the outside looking in of the playoff picture, but things are tightening up in the AFC fits. Uh, it'll be very, very interesting. <laughs> excuse me, very interesting over the next couple of days to really dive into the numbers, the what has to happen for the Raiders to get here and to get there. But I think at the end of the day, you got two weeks left, right? You got two games. You're away to the Colts. You're back home and to wrap this thing up against Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers. And after all of the craziness, after all of the unfortunate things that have happened across the board for this team, Fitz, they're, they're right there. They really are. Well, and this is what's interesting. I, I just looked at the great stats and information group for ESPN that let us know that right now, this is the fewest playoff spots clinched across the NFL two weeks, with two weeks remaining in the season ever. Uh, or I should say since uh, 1990. So fewest we've seen since 1990. That tells you how weird this has been. The, the fact that we are sitting here and there are still this many teams in contention. We are talking about right now 24 teams still have a shot at the playoffs. Like that is <laughs> insane. And the Raiders are oh. one of those teams. So, you know, that we have to look at this and say, and, and you have to look across the board and say, with this Raiders win, what's next? And I would say to everybody, if the question is, are the Raiders a playoff team, then they have to prove it. Because what we knew against Cleveland, what we know now, uh, this week, what we'll find out over the next two weeks, these were all playoff caliber teams. So if the Raiders were going to make it into the playoffs, what they were going to have to do is very simple. They were going to have to beat a bunch of playoff teams. So now they're in a situation where they got to beat a playoff caliber team like the Colts, and they got to beat a playoff caliber team like the Chargers. And if you do that, then you shut everybody up that's had anything negative to say. You shut up the narrative about this team falling apart at the end of the season. You change the entire narrative about where the team's heading for the next several years. Like that path, that runway is right in front of a Raiders team that feels special in some ways in the way they've come together. So now it's just a matter of can they bring it together? They, there is so little margin for error, but they put themselves in that situation. If they get to the playoffs, it's because they got themselves out of that situation that that's a cool thing to think about I mean you and I have talked about this a lot where I think regardless of whether this team makes the postseason or they don't make the postseason I think that history is going to be very kind to this 2021 Raiders group I think the guys they have in that locker room I think they have something special that that they've built throughout the course of let's be honest there are no no fair you know no shortage of ups and downs and and curveballs that nobody could have expected to be thrown at them in 2021 but now like you said they're right there they, need, they have a chance to completely change the conversation surrounding their group. They have a chance to completely rewrite a narrative. If I would have told you, Fitz, that, I don't know, uh, 10 weeks ago, 11 weeks ago, the Raiders would have all these bizarre things happen, but the guys in that locker room would stay together, they would uh, kind of band together, and they would be right there. They would be right on the cusp of the playoff hunt. You would have taken that, uh, first off, you probably wouldn't believe me, but you would have taken that 100 times out of 100. Yeah, especially when you start factoring in some of the injuries, some of the players not there. Yeah. And not just the players not there we've talked about, but let's remember that today, yet again, Foster Moreau, who's had, you know, I, I know we've talked a lot about the drops a, a couple of weeks ago, but Foster Moreau had a big game with some key catches today, and the Raiders found a way to generate offense when there's no Darren Waller. And that is harder to do than anybody imagines. Like, they went out without their biggest offensive weapon 
and they still generated offense. And Hunter Renfro, even though he was being doubled in it, at times triple team, still had some catches, still got some action done. Like, I, I was really impressed with all of that. Uh, Hunter's best touchdown of the year, you think? I think that, I mean, it's got to oh, be yeah, in consideration, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I, there's no doubt about that. There, there, there's no, like, that one was a hot, and fun, to, by the way, see him do that because so often we think about Hunter. Hunter's become very much like Tim Brown was for the old guys in the room where it's like, He's going to be somewhere in the middle of the field and he's going to catch something and you don't know how he got open. It was nice to see him show off a little bit the, you know, you can't cover me in the middle and you can't cover me uh, running towards the corner either. It was a beautiful route by him. I mean, I think that might have been the best throw and catch that we've seen from Derek to anyone this year, right? I mean, Derek yeah. put that ball exactly where it needed to be. Six inches in any other direction, that's an incomplete pass. And Hunter, to his credit, put himself in perfect position to haul that in. And that was not an easy catch. That was a very difficult catch. So the, the, the kind of tandem at all was just fantastic. And we talked about Foster and some of the issues he's had controlling the ball. Four targets today, four catches. He's your, lead, excuse me, your league leader. He's your team leader with 67 yards. A, nut, a, a fantastic day at work. A nice bounce back game for Foster. Uh, because, look, I think it's fair after the past couple weeks to be like, well, you know, maybe Foster has gotten really, you know, fortunate with the fact that Darren's there and he gets to kind of eat off that. Like, Foster went out today and he made some big boy catches when this team needed him to be a big dog and go eat. Yeah, and let's remember that Foster hasn't had to do that. Like, yeah. I mean, I think we just presume that guys, like, next man up presumes that guys know how to be next man up. I mean, Foster was a hell of a tight end in college, but wasn't the guy that needed to go out and eat the way this offense makes him eat, for sure. So I think there's a little bit of a learning curve. You want another, like in the world of stats, you want another awesome stat about this game that'll make you feel good? A thousand percent. Hit me. The, the Raiders won a game with the turnover di differential of minus three or worse for only the second time in the last 15 seasons. Ooh, you have the last time they did it in front of you? Yeah, well... That was week 17 of the 2020 season against the Denver Broncos. So this team knows how to overcome. Those are the two. It's the only two in the last 15 years that they've been able to do. So uh, credit to the stats and info people at ESPN. They're always making us uh, sound smart. Guys like me aren't smart, but, you know, people make us sound smart. And here's another one that I was just doing the math in my head. So Drew Locke finishes his day 15 of 22 for 153 yards. Pedestrian, I think, is, is a generous way, you know, to describe his day. If you take away that one 40-yard reception to Judy that where Divine had probably his first rookie moment that we've seen where he got completely turned around. But if you take that take that reception away, he finished the day with 113 yards. 113. That's insane. That's insane. In the year of our I mean, Lord 2021 fits, 113 yards. I mean, and when you think about that with again for anyone that wants to say they didn't have, uh, you know, they didn't have Bridgewater, by the way, that's not like saying you didn't have Aaron Rodgers. But number two, look at these starting corners. Like, look at the guys that were being asked to step up yeah. and play in this game. That, to me, is is just stunning. I mean, when you start thinking about their ability to – this defense's ability to mask their inefficiencies and every single week, every single broadcast, hey, this is just my, my complaint, my first world complaint. Every single broadcast tells you that Gus Bradley doesn't blitz. And not a single one of those broadcasts takes a second to ask the question, why? Because if you blitz, you are going to expose your secondary. And this secondary has been piecemeal for most of the entirety of the season. Now, Gus Bradley's not a big blitzer anyway. But if you're sitting at your house and you're thinking, God, Gus, just send the blitz right here. I would ask you, are you sure you're really ready for that risk? Because what Gus is proving constantly is, hey, we can get there with the front four. He's right. 
we can affect the quarterback with the front four. He's right. And, oh, by the way, doing it this way allows our entire back seven to protect each other, communicate well, and cover. And that's what we're like. This is simple. It's good coaching and smart to not blitz all the time. And nobody's turning around after they give that stat and say, oh, and by the way, it really works for this Raiders defense. You know what I'm going to do tomorrow, Fitz? I'm going to give myself this little project. I'm going to go back and see how many different starting cornerbacks the Raiders have had in 2021. I'm like, I'm genuinely curious because, like, to your point, it's been piecemeal. It's been put together week. You know, week one is different than week two is different than week three, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that there's such a good philosophical conversation to have there. And, right, it's a conversation that we could sit here for 45 minutes and have. But the people that, like, to your point, that want Gus to get aggressive, to send guys, like, you have to be okay with the other side of that. And it's no disrespect to the Desmond Trufants or Casey Haywards or Brandon Faisons of the world. But at some point, Gus must be like, Look, whatever I'm doing is working, right? Like, it's almost kind of like, hey, let's let's just not mess it up. Let's not mess up the good energy. Like, I know we're kind of throwing guys in and out. Like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And you're almost, it's like, I'm trying to figure out a good example. It's like, you know when you have, uh, like when you're a kid and you've got that toy that you know that you've loved so much and it's been, it's got so many good memories for you, but it's 100% on its last leg and you're so delicate with it. And you're like, oh, oh, no, 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 we can't do this anymore. But I just, I want to keep it right here and, and do this. Like, that's kind of what it feels like where Gus is like, look, we're keeping this in together by string. I'm not getting wild, guys. Like, this is what it is. And look, you're talking about my childhood Rodimus Prime Transformer, and I don't know how you knew that about him. I mean, you know, but hey, I've had him since I was a little kid. It's one of the few things I had from my childhood. I don't want you messing up the wheels on yeah. at this point. You're, you're a thousand percent right, though. And I think, again, it speaks to knowing who your guys are. And also, not just talent-wise, I, I want to be very clear about that. Like, I think the level, the difference in level of talent from the best to the middle to the lowest at the NFL level is not as big as a lot of people think it is. The question is, can can you be put into the best situation for the talent that you have? And can you be put into the best situation with the communication that you have? When you're suddenly asking for, a, you know, somebody that's barely started in the NFL or barely started with this team – to not only come in and start, but then to understand what all the assignments are, who's going where and how they're doing it. My God. I mean, for whatever reason, we understand that when it's a bunch of wide receivers we've never heard of, but when it's a bunch of corners and safeties that are in and out of the game, we're like, Oh, it'll be just fine. No, it won't. I think the Raiders did a really nice job today of confusing drew lock in all of their looks. They did a nice job of stopping the Broncos from doing the one thing they had to do, which was run the football. And on the flip side of it, the Raiders were careless with the football, made a bunch of mistakes, and still came out with a win. Like that, that feels good at 8-7. and seven. Oh, it 100% does. So before we get out of here, Fitz, the Raiders now hit the road, going to Indy next weekend. The Raiders are going to win on Sunday if? Oh, that's tough. Um, I mean, I think they're taking – I honestly think if, if we looked at everything in a vacuum and we didn't love quarterbacks so much – the Raiders are taking on the MVP of the NFL this year and Jonathan Taylor. I think Jonathan Taylor is Derrick Henry good. And I think Jonathan Taylor is going to go out and he's going to eat. And so knowing that I don't think there's a team in the NFL that can effectively shut down Jonathan Taylor, even if their offensive line, as it was against the Cardinals is decimated, they still run the dang ball, right? But Carson Wentz is not good. So in my mind, Carson Wentz is up and down as a player. If I'm the Raiders, I go in and I say, look, I'm just, Jonathan Taylor's going to get his. I'm just going to try and keep my guys alive. What the Raiders need to do is I don't care if it's short passing. I don't care if it's running the football. The Raiders need to do their best to keep the defense off the field as much as possible 
to keep them rested because they are going to get physically beaten by this Colts team. That's what this Colts team does. They move the line of scrimmage. So if the Raiders come out and offensively, as strange as it sounds, if the Raiders can dominate the, the offensive line and control the ball, the Raiders do not need 60 yard touchdowns in this game. The Raiders need 14 minute drives that take all of the juice out of their defense. They're going to have to keep their defense off the field because it's a pounding to take on the Colts. But if the Raiders can beat the Colts, they damn well deserve to be in the playoffs. This is, this is like, I'm telling you, as a, 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 the most stable, level-headed Raiders fan I can imagine, this is the biggest game the Raiders have played since Hugh Jackson walked in in the last week of the season and had a chance to win a playoff game, essentially. Had a chance for the Raiders to go to the playoffs. This is that big. Like, the Raiders win this game, then they are they are squarely deserving a playoff spot. If they don't, then this is the game that reminds us too many different times this season it got away from us. I mean, you talked about that formula, Fitz. It sounds pretty similar to what the uh, the boys in silver and black did today at Allegiant Stadium. So it is going to be an entertaining week. Obviously, we're going to have to wait and see who is coming back. We hope Brian Edwards will be back uh, for Sunday's game. I think that would be a huge lift to this offense. Uh, we hope Marcus Mariota is also back in the mix. We hope uh, it's going to be very interesting, like I said, to see what's going to happen over the next 72, 96 hours. But we have a lot to talk about. It is going to be a blast. It is going to be a fantastic holiday week. And a Merry Christmas to you, Fitz. I see you with the festive backdrop. It is so nice to see that beautiful smiling face the day after Christmas and uh, I'm happy for numerous reasons today but no, you know number one has to be the Las Vegas Raiders took care of business we're eight and seven so Freddie Pascal my man Jason Fitz Ray on the ones and twos Alexandra back in the control room and everyone else back at Silver and Black Productions thank you thank you thank you for hanging out with us happy holidays I hope everyone enjoys uh, some sort of festivity tonight keep the party going because the Raiders are alive and we will see you guys next week same time same place for the fifth quarter Thank you for listening to The Fifth Quarter, presented by Twitch. Make sure to download the Raiders mobile app, and we'll see you next week.